0: Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. Surprised by Joy, The Shape of My Early Life by C.S. Lewis Chapter 5, Renaissance Epigram by Traherne So is there in us a world of love to somewhat, though we know not what in the world that should be. I do not much believe in the Renaissance as generally described by historians. The more I look into the evidence, the less trace I find of that vernal rapture which is supposed to have swept Europe in the fifteenth century. I half suspect that the glow of the historians' pages has a different source, that each is remembering and projecting his own personal Renaissance, that wonderful reawakening which comes to most of us when puberty is complete. It is properly called a rebirth, not a birth, a reawakening, not awakening, because in many of us, besides being a new thing, it is also the recovery of things we had in childhood and lost when we became boys. For boyhood is very like the dark ages, though not as they were, but as they are represented in bad, short histories." the dreams of childhood and those of adolescence may have much in common. Between them, often, boyhood stretches like an alien territory in which everything, ourselves included, has been greedy, cruel, noisy, and prosaic, in which the imagination has slept and the most unideal senses and ambitions have been restlessly, even maniacally, awake. In my own life, it was certainly so. My childhood is at unity with the rest of my life. My boyhood not so. Many of the books that pleased me as a child please me still. Nothing but necessity would make me reread most of the books that I read at Oldies or at Campbell. From that point of view it is all a sandy desert. The authentic joy, as I tried to describe it in an earlier chapter, had vanished from my life so completely that not even the memory or the desire of it remained. The reading of Zorab had not given it to me. Joy is distinct not only from pleasure in general, but even from aesthetic pleasure. It must have the stab, the pang, the inconsolable longing. This long winter broke up in a single moment, fairly early in my time at Chart. Spring is the inevitable image, But this was not gradual like nature's springs. It was as if the Arctic itself, all the deep layers of secular ice, should change, not in a week, nor in an hour, but instantly into a landscape of grass and primroses and orchards in bloom, deafened with bird songs and astir with running water. I can lay my hand on the very moment. There is hardly any fact I know so well, though I cannot date it. Someone must have left in the schoolroom a literary periodical. The Bookman, perhaps, or the Times Literary Supplement. My eye fell upon a headline and a picture, carelessly, expecting nothing. A moment later, as the poet says, the sky had turned round. What I had read was the words, Siegfried and the Twilight of the Gods. What I had seen was one of Arthur Rackham's illustrations to that volume, I had never heard of Wagner nor of Siegfried. I thought the Twilight of the Gods meant the twilight in which the gods lived. How did I know, at once and beyond question, that this was no Celtic or Sylvan or terrestrial twilight? But so it was. Pure Northernness engulfed me, a vision of huge, clear spaces hanging over the Atlantic in the endless night of Northern summer, remoteness, severity almost at the same moment I knew that I had met this before, long, long ago, it hardly seems longer now, in Tegner's droppa, that Siegfried, whatever it might be, belonged to the same world as Balder and the sunward-sailing cranes. And with that plunge back into my own past, there arose at once, almost like heartbreak, the memory of joy itself, the knowledge that I had once had what I had now lacked for years, that I was returning at last from exile and desert lands to my own country, and the distance of the twilight of the gods and the distance of my own past joy, both unattainable, flowed together into a single, unendurable sense of desire and loss, which suddenly became one with the loss of the whole experience, which as I now stared round that dusty schoolroom like a man recovering from unconsciousness, had already vanished, had eluded me at the very moment when I could first say, it is. And at once I knew, with fatal knowledge, that to have it again was the supreme and only important object of desire. After this, everything played into my hands. One of my father's many presents to us boys had been a gramophone, Thus, at the moment when my eyes fell on the words Siegfried and the Twilight of the Gods, gramophone catalogs were already one of my favorite forms of reading. But I had never remotely dreamed that the records from Grand Opera, with their queer German or Italian names, could have anything to do with me. Nor did I for a week or two think so now. But then I was assailed from a new quarter. A magazine called The Soundbox was doing synopses of great operas week by week. And now it did the whole ring. I read in a rapture and discovered who Siegfried was and what was the twilight of the gods. I could contain myself no longer. I began a poem, a heroic poem on the Wagnerian version of the Nibelung story. My only source was the abstracts in the soundbox, and I was so ignorant that I made Alberich rhyme with ditch and Mima with time. My model was Pope's Odyssey, and the poem began, with some mixture of mythologies, Descend to earth, descend, Celestial Nine, And chant the ancient legends of the Rhine. Since the fourth book had carried me only as far as the last scene of the Gold, the reader will not be surprised to hear that the poem was never finished. But it was not a waste of time, and I can still see just what it did for me and where it began to do it. The first three books, I may perhaps at this distance of time say it without vanity, are really not at all bad for a boy. At the beginning of the unfinished fourth, it goes all to pieces, and that is exactly the point at which I really began to try to make poetry. Up to then, if my lines rhymed and scanned and got on with the story, I asked no more. Now, at the beginning of the fourth, I began to try to convey some of the intense excitement I was feeling, to look for expressions which would not merely state, but suggest. Of course, I failed, lost my prosaic clarity, spluttered, gasped, and presently fell silent. But I had learned what writing means. All this time I had still not heard a note of Wagner's music. "'though the very shape of the printed letters of his name "'had become to me a magical symbol. "'Next holidays, in the dark, crowded shop "'of T. Eden's Osborne, on whom be peace, "'I first heard a record of the ride of the Valkyries. "'They laugh at it nowadays, "'and, indeed, wrenched from its context "'to make a concert piece, it may be a poor thing. "'But I had this in common with Wagner.' that I was thinking not of concert pieces, but of heroic drama. To a boy already crazed with the northernness, whose highest musical experience had been Sullivan, the ride came like a thunderbolt. From that moment, Wagnerian records, principally from The Ring, but also from Lohengrin and Parsifal, became the chief drain on my pocket money, and the presents I invariably asked for. My general appreciation of music was not, at first, much altered. Music was one thing. Wagnerian music, quite another, and there was no common measure between them. It was not a new pleasure, but a new kind of pleasure, if indeed pleasure is the right word, rather than trouble, ecstasy, astonishment, a conflict of sensations without name. Tis the gift to be simple, tis the gift to be free, tis the gift to come down where we ought to be.